page 616 of our church Bibles. We're going to start at verse 1 and then move on to verse 19. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Then we move to verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festive procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. God bless this word to us. The New Testament reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40 and is on page 1054 of the Church Bibles. And Jesus had just been telling the people a parable at Zacchaeus' house. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. <coughs> Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Now, do you want to join in the colour of it? Yes, we have a few more. Come on. You're fine. Good morning. Okay, shall we try that with feeling? Good morning. Good morning. I love it when you do that. 
wonder if any of you in your cars I don't have power on the clicker one moment thank you have you got one of these this is the point that I should say other sat navs are available but please remember, it's very easy to think of the sat-nav as a camera. Not a camera, it's a map. Because I very rarely see the M42 looking that clear. <laughs> Those of you who have a sat-nav may have decided to program the sat-nav to a male voice or a female voice. This morning you have the benefit of a female voice. And sometimes we have the voice that says, in 300 yards, turn right. As if you can guess how long 300 yards are. <laughs> we, we have a Peugeot, and a Peugeot talks about 800 yards forever. It's only when it changes to 600 that you know you may be there, but it can be 800 yards for miles. It could say, take the second left, or the ubiquitous, turn around where possible. <laughs> we long to hear the word, you have reached your destination, don't we? The little flag. On our sat now, sometimes we get up, slow traffic for six miles, detour available, yes or no? And you have to press one or the other. Sometimes it's a good idea to go with a detour, sometimes it's not. I wonder what it would be like if your sat-nav developed a personality and was able to, like a camera, just look at the road ahead and say something like, this is really boring. I know a shortcut. Hang on, let's go. And the car of its own volition went on its own little shortcut. I think I would be frightened of ending up in the middle of a field. I did once with my sister, not fun. The nation of Israel had also been searching for a destination, a special place and a special person. And that person was the promised Messiah. They'd been looking right back as far as the Exodus and they really thought that Moses was the one. He was gonna be the great deliverer. Well, he was a deliverer, but he wasn't the deliverer. They were still looking. They'd looked, is it him? Is it him? Is it him? Is it him? And all of their hopes and dreams had ended up in a dead end. Now, we've had beautifully read to us this morning by Alex in that account in Luke 9 of how Jesus came into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And I thought that sketch of all the different things you could do with a palm was great. It's also called the triumphal entry. You heard it called that? The triumphal entry of Jesus. Trouble is, at the time, it was very unexpected. Jesus had never done anything like that before. Now, I wonder if crowds, as crowds often do, started murmuring and thinking, oh, what's happening? Something happening. Have you seen something? Oh, I see people coming. Oh, what's happening? What's happening? Would this be it? Everyone looks for it, don't they? The one thing that's going to make the difference. 
Now, they should have remembered, if they're looking for the Messiah, to look back at their prophets. Isaiah was a powerful prophet for the nation. He said these words in chapter 9. You know them very well. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That was the king they wanted. The powerful king that Isaiah mentioned. They also knew of a smaller prophet, smaller only in the sense he's got less room in the book. Isaiah's a big, chunky one, but Zechariah's quite small. And Zechariah said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the important thing there is the last bit, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But if you've got in your head the picture of a different kind of a king, which bit of that are you going to remember? Your king comes to you. Your king comes to Jerusalem. So they are hearing these multitudes gathering at Passover time. Something's happening. Something's going on. So they start quoting what Pat read to us from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the next verse, if you were listening very closely, said, with bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Something wonderful is about to happen. This surely must be it. Jesus is coming towards the city. And then the news goes around. He's riding. Oh, great. What are they expecting? Fantastic. He's going to declare himself as Messiah, declare himself as king, riding through with all the hosts of heaven. Absolutely fantastic. He's going to get rid of the hated Romans. This is it. Okay. They should have remembered those words in Isaiah, but also some chapters before that, where Isaiah had said, that yes, he's going to come as conquering king, but first he has to come as suffering servant. He will suffer for the nations to bring them into the kingdom. And then he'll be conquering king. Oh, how easy it is to forget the nasty bits. We do that, don't we? Lord, I want a shortcut to the good bits. That's what they were expecting. So there they are all waiting with their palms. They start flinging down their coats. And what do they get? Oh. What's that? He's coming in on a, a donkey? Oh, we were expecting a white charger at the very least. No, this is a donkey. It's a very young one, too. It's never been ridden before. A donkey? We would lovingly call it a beast of burden. It's a functional animal. Gets you from A to B. 
In fact, in ancient Middle Eastern customs, to ride on a donkey was a sign of I come in peace. If you'd wanted to come as a conqueror, then you'd do the big horse bit. So Jesus is making several statements, isn't he? I'm coming in peace. Now, the pace of the donkey would have been slow. Donkeys are not noted for galloping. He was coming in slowly. But it would have been sure. It would have been safe, constant. I love this painting because to me, the one huge thing it says is how close the people could get to him. He is accessible at a pace that can accommodate anyone. Contrast that with this thing. This, for those of you who are not techie, and I'm not terribly techie, I just read a lot, is called The Beast. The Beast is President Obama's official presidential limousine. That was taken in 2009. The Beast is an extraordinary vehicle. For the techies amongst you, all of the windows, back and front windscreens and side windows, are five inches thick. That's about that far. That's a windscreen. The doors are eight inches thick, and the doors have the same strength as the door of a Boeing 757. On board, amongst many other things, they carry two pints of blood in the president's blood pipe. They carry oxygen, and the whole thing can be hermetically sealed against chemical warfare. No wonder they called it the beast. It's a heavy old thing. For those of you who are interested in other statistics, its top speed can never exceed 60 miles an hour. And when you're thinking of a getaway, that doesn't sound very fast to me. And its top fuel consumption is 9.6 miles to the gallon. 9.6. What is that thing built for? To protect the president and as a sign of status. Yes? You should see Trump's, but we won't go into that. <laughs> what that is showing me is that they don't want people getting close to the president. Yes? Well, of course, presidents often have a different idea, don't they? In 2009, on Inauguration Day, Barack and Michelle Obama went walkabout. Now, ever since the death of President Kennedy, nobody had wanted a president to get out of a car. Jimmy Carter, for those of you who remember Jimmy Carter, broke tradition and decided he wanted to go where the people are. And he got out of the limousine. <gasps> Can you notice the faces of these gentlemen around? They are Secret Service agents. And they are freaking out. <laughs> they don't want their president that accessible. It is still a massive symbol of status as he's walking down Pennsylvania Avenue. What if we put those pictures side by side? Bit of a contrast, isn't it? On the left, the beast. 
a symbol of status. On the right, Jesus comes in humbly on a donkey. The symbol is one of service. Now, Jesus was ultimately going to be conquering king, but he knew that God's path for him involved suffering. And there would be no heavenly sat-nav saying, I've got a shortcut. You don't have to do that. There was never going to be it. He had set his face towards Jerusalem and deliberately chose the path. Now, the path was through one of the entrances into the city, but he had another path in mind, the path to the cross. At the start of Jesus' ministry, there had been an option for a shortcut. Again in Luke, we read about the time when Jesus, having been baptized in water by John, filled with the Holy Spirit, is taken to the desert. Do you remember? In Luke 4, we read these words. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, notice first of all, Jesus did not question Satan's claims of ownership and power. They were, at that point, his to give. So Jesus never questioned that. Satan said he was prepared to give all of that up to Jesus, only if he bowed down. He knew Jesus was to go through great suffering. He offered him instant glorification and a way out that did not involve suffering. There's the shortcut. You don't have to go through all of that. What are they like anyway? They're only going to do their own thing again. Go on. Quick bow down to me and everything will be fine. Jesus, however, knew that in due time, through trusting God's plan and timing, through the cross, grave, and resurrection, God the Father would exalt him to the highest place. Not Satan, the Father. I am so glad this morning that Jesus refused to take the shortcut. Aren't you? Yeah. How about this? A few points to ponder. How often do you long for a shortcut? You're going through something and you think, Lord, are we there yet? How much longer? Is there a way I can do anything that would make this shorter? Do you trust God's timing? Lord, I know you have a plan, but can we speed it up a bit, please? I'd like to wind the clock up. Do you trust God's plan? You see, Jesus could have come into Jerusalem on a magnificent white horse. But he took the position of an underdog in order to demonstrate us that sometimes we have to wait very patiently to achieve God's best. And sometimes he has to remind us that his kingdom is a kingdom of opposites. We talked about the Beatitudes a few weeks ago. But let's just give you, 
We've had in our reading this morning, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The last will become first, and the suffering servant will ultimately become the conquering king. It's that word ultimately that we have to concentrate on. It's not quite here yet, but it will be soon. The good news is that Jesus has already suffered, died, and come back to life again. Amen? When Jesus comes again, as I believe there is a second coming, he will not need to do the suffering servant book. He's already done that. And everyone, every person who loves him, is destined to reign with King Jesus. And that's what we're looking for. You know, there may be times when you feel like a permanent underdog. You long for a way out, a shortcut to the difficult times you've currently experienced. Jesus is asking of us that we wait patiently, recognizing he is constantly planning and working out his purposes. We do not always see the whole plan. We only ever see a bit at a time. If we did manage somehow to find a shortcut, there is no guarantee that we would get to our heavenly destination quicker and we could be a bit more battered and bruised on the way. Jesus asks us, not that we follow a path of status, but of service. Not a pleasant word for most people. Jesus' triumphal entry ultimately led to the cross. I don't think anyone in that crowd had a clue how close they were to Jesus being crucified. It was less than a week. The palms were only ever a prelude to the cross. As I draw to a close, I want to remind you of Paul's word in Romans, where he says in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In the old King James, it says, this is your reasonable service. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, you may be surprised to know that I do practice my sermons. I don't know if you think it's worth it, but I do practice my sermons. Yesterday, I was talking to my eldest son, and I showed him this picture. I said, how about that for a picture of a living sacrifice, Chris? Finding any old lump of anything, flinging yourself backwards on it and waiting for something. He said, that's not service. I said, you can't lie there pretending to be dead. You can't serve God if you're dead. He comes up with these genius one-liners, does my Chris. But I think some people look at that verse and say, oh, Lord, I, I'm just going to serve you. I'll just stay here and wait for you to tell me how to serve you. Lord, I'm going to serve you. No. Scripture says, whatever your hands find to do, do it as unto the Lord with all your might. And Philippians 2, a very well-known passage, but I'll read it in the message, talks about the attitude we should have. Have this mind in you, which was that in Christ Jesus. Paul says of it like this from verse 5. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status. There it is again. Equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself 
that he had to cling on to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. Instead, he lived a selfless... Sorry, he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death of that, a crucifixion. And then it starts going back up again. But because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Let us not be people who are more concerned with status, but focus on the service that we can offer to God. It doesn't mean that we push ourselves down like something on that tree stump and do nothing. It just means that we have an attitude of praise to God, but humility ourselves. T.S. Lewis said it beautifully. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Amen.